Hello and welcome to The Trials, the system playtest actual play podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael. I have brought along with me, as I always do, my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing really, really well today, Michael. And it's today, not tonight. Ha! Shut up. It's night somewhere. Peek behind the curtain. So recently, Caleb and I, as long uh, with other featured voice Matthew Parody, got to play a new game for the trials called Metahumans Rising. And on this episode of the trials, Matthew, Caleb, and myself are going to kind of recap our experience and talk a little bit about the game. Uh, so Matthew, go ahead and say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. Uh, so this game is called Metahumans Rising. It is the newest production from House Doc. That's uh, House D-O-K Productions. You can find them on housedoc.com. Uh, they've had a couple other games that have come out previously. I think Fractured Kingdoms is one. And all of these games are using what's called the open action system, which from best of my understanding is something that the creator and our GM for the series, Dave Silva, has written, or at least he was the lead uh, writer for. Uh, so this is a superhero action game. It's supposed to simulate sort of Iron Age comic books. And uh, Dave put us through our paces through a one-shot called Burning the Midnight Oil. You have had the opportunity, and hopefully you took it, to listen to that series of actual play podcasts. And this is our traditional recap and review. So I will start with Caleb. Uh, Caleb, some overall impressions, uh, positive, negative, a little bit of both. What did you think of Metahumans Rising? I really liked the system. Yeah, it was very rules-intensive, uh, but it really gave me a great sense of those classic age, big action, big splash panels on the page comic books. Uh, so I, I think the setting was really interesting. There was a lot of backstory we didn't get a chance to go into during the actual play of this whole story of alien invasion and government conspiracy that led to these superheroes uh, developing. So the world itself is very rich and vibrant and the rules, while there are a lot of them really let you do cool superhero, amazing things. So I had a lot of fun with it. All right, Matthew, what about you? What were some overall impressions of the game? Um, I thought it was a, a fun game. I liked, like Caleb said, I liked all the, uh, the comic book feel. It was it was a modern twist on it where it was like, you know, oh, I, I remember reading a comic like this back in the day. But, oh, methamphetamines, that's new and exciting. So, yeah, I, I liked how it played for the most part. OK, and we're going to get into some some specifics. Uh, as for myself, I'm lukewarm on it. There are certainly things about it I did enjoy. Um I've said before on some of our other episodes that after fantasy, superheroes is my second favorite genre of role-playing games, and I very rarely ever get to play them, but I do enjoy them. And uh, I'm kind of with Caleb here. I thought the rules were very crunch-heavy, which you know just isn't my forte. But I will say that it seemed like the rules, even though there were a lot of them, were designed to give you the ability to do the things that you needed to do to be a superhero. But even with that, there were a lot of one-offs, like I can do this one thing that's really outside the rules once per session, uh, which lets me do this super cool thing. And I just wonder, is that because rules-wise we had trouble figuring out how to make that work? So we just have all these like one-off exceptions that just let you do the thing that, that you want to do. So I, just, I, just, I don't know without actually having read the, the book entirely. But at the actual table at the game, I 
I thought it was fun. I, I got to do some cool stuff as uh, Bulwark, the living volcano, uh, which I thought was really cool. Well, in the defense of that specific critique, there are a lot of other rule sets that include the once a session concept. I don't think that is uh, a fault of the system. I think that's just how a lot of games are evolving. I mean, if we look back to uh, fourth edition, that came up with the daily power. And I think maybe not intentionally, but maybe just thematically, a lot of games have picked up that do one thing really cool once a game. Because you can kind of do that in Fate. Uh, You can kind of do that in 5th edition. I mean, there's lots of systems that say, here's your one shining moment. Gamble with when you want to use it wisely. And plus, that's really comic booky. I mean, if you look at especially classic age comic books, it wasn't heroes being super crazy heroic all the time. Once, once an issue, some guy would do his one awesome, I explode everything power. Once an issue, Batman would use his really awesome gadget that you never see ever. It, it's shark it, repellent. Shark repellent. Yeah, obviously. Well, I mean, I think you use that all the time. That's really important. I've never been attacked by a shark. Apparently it's working. Exactly. So yeah, I, I agree that that kind of feels a little bit weird, but there was a bunch of them on the page. Uh, on our character sheets, there were at least three or four once a game do this things. And it gave me as a player an interesting hook because I wanted to find opportunities to use these once a session abilities. So I was trying to pay more attention to the story and the other players and say, okay, how can I work in this one really cool thing that my character does? Or I tried to set myself up for that moment. So I think it's an interesting feature of the system and it definitely lives up to the pulpy comic book standard. I just kept thinking, is there like a massive list, like thousands and thousands of all these exceptions? Or is it more like Fate where each character you create, you get two or three of these one-off exceptions and you just make up your own based off of your character type? Well, we didn't get to make our own characters. We worked with pre-gems. So we didn't get to dig into character creation. So that's something we really can't speak on. I'm going to guess that during character creation, you get to establish your extra super special abilities. Maybe there's a point by system. Maybe it's based on the class type you choose. But I, I have a feeling based on how the rest of the system we did experience worked out, that there is a, a way to, to derive these one-shot specials from your actual character growth and development. Okay, I want to take a couple of minutes and talk about those characters that we played, and I'll start with you, Matthew. So you played Lady Knight, sure which felt to me sort of like a female Batman, was sort of like the archetype they were going yeah. for. So any comments uh, about the character you played, what she could do or what you tried to do with her, anything you know, getting positive or negative that came from the gameplay? I mean, what I tried to do was the classic 90s um, rogue accent, and I hope that came across. Because I got excited. Because, yeah, I mean, everyone rogue. Hey. Uh, but when I was doing, like, when I was doing the accent, I wasn't thinking of looking classic 90s rogue. I was thinking I was looking like uh, Reaper, 
which Rogue became in one of the uh, the end of mutant events of most recent fame. But anyway, that's that's a different story. I thought that um, I thought she had an interesting backstory, and I, I I liked the way she played. She was very Batmany, but instead of gadgets, she just used shadows to do everything, which was a lot cooler. And um, didn't like the way I had no idea about this sister thing that I had. Like I know she wasn't in the game, but the fact that it said sister colon elf on my on my character sheet was just bugging the shit out of me. I was like, wait, my sister's an elf? What the hell's going on? Why aren't we talking about this? Where is she? <laughs> Maybe it was like a sister elf thing, like a sister wife. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's your sister elf. Yeah, on the sister shelf. elf. Oh, just uh, got these Fey over here, and one of them is my sister. Hey. <laughs> well, one thing I thought was interesting about your character is that uh, from my side of the screen, because I never even looked at your character sheet, mm-hmm. all I know is what came through the gameplay, is it seemed like you had sort of like one power, it was like shadow yep. power, but you could do multiple things with it. You At one point, you created shadows to conceal yourself. At one point, you made a physical cage of shadow mm-hmm. to lock down someone else. You could fly. Yeah. So... Did you like that aspect that you could just say, I'm using Shadow to do X, Y, or Z, and it's just limited by your creativity, or it's kind of like Green Lantern's power that way, mm-hmm. or the amount of willpower. Actually, it's a lot like Green Lantern's power, yeah. now that I think of it, because you had to spend willpower to do these things. Yeah, no, that was cool. Um, like you said, you didn't look at my sheet, and I, did, I don't really look at anyone else's, but the powers had these little blocks like where it described the power, and my blocks were really, really tiny text. It was like, two paragraphs in each thing you can use this power to blah, 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 blah. and then if you want you could blah, 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 blah. i was like damn i could do anything with this shit and i knew that i had that character when he goes uh lady knight's actually my favorite character and i was like oh i'm gonna hurt this guy's feelings <laughs> <laughs> i did take a look at everyone's character sheet for comparison purpose because you know that's my that's my job lady knight's character sheet i think had the least amount of numbers and entries on it but it had the most options so if we compared matt's character sheet to my character sheet my character sheet was covered in all kinds of skills and attack abilities and offensive abilities and lady knight's character sheet had like two things on it but the trick is that those two things could be used pretty much any way you want it so i think it's interesting that this Um, gaming system lets you go to both extremes. Uh, Lady Knight felt like a very creative, driven, almost fate-like character where you just decided, I want to use my shadow power to do this. And the GM would say, okay, well, you have to roll this and spend this. Okay, it happens. As opposed to my character that was very kind of D&D crunch heavy. My sheet says I can do this attack. I do this attack. My sheet says I have these three skills and this feat. I use those to do this. But the one system lets you go to both extremes. So that's, I think that's a real positive note because it lets you build whatever mode of character you want. All right. And let's take a second and talk about your character, Crossfire, who was essentially Hawkeye or that other DC version of Heroes. Hey, you know what? The the superior Oliver Queen made an appearance in this game, and I very happily represent and stand up for this amazing character who very well might be the best thing on television right now. I feel like Green Arrow and Hawkeye are 
only similar in the fact that they both use arrows. I feel True. Like Hawkeye, Hawkeye's got a lot less going on backstory yeah. wise. Yeah, Hawkeye's just a secret agent. You Oliver to... Queen is a mayor. He has a family. He has to deal with all these consequences of his choices. It's such a rich, uh, deep story, and you really connect with this amazing character as you go <laughs> on this journey with him. Ah, I can spend the whole episode talking I can't about. Wait till this Green is Era. all cut out. Yeah, yeah. no yeah. one is yeah. ever going to hear this. Nope. Oh, oh, that's so sad. <laughs> I'm actually gonna. I'm gonna go through our archive, and I'm gonna be able to recreate where you say Arrow sucks. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna piece that together. Oh my god! Yeah. That would be hysterical. I, I hope We're just going to start off with another one of Caleb's favorite anecdotes. Caleb, please take it away. Arrow sucks. Thank you, Caleb. All right, now to the episode. You fucking filthy liar. <laughs> There's a drop for you. Anyway, let's talk about Crossfire. I really liked the Crossfire character. When we got the character sheets, I flipped through all of them. And Crossfire is the normal guy with a weapon who's really good at it. And he he's not quite Batman or Iron Man. He really is Hawkeye or Green Arrow. He's just a very skilled guy with a bow. He's physically trained. He's at the peak of his physical human capability. And he has a cool weapon. That interested me as a character, as a, as a player, because he's the one normal guy in this world of crazy superheroes and aliens. So I thought, Playing him would be a good way to try to see how the world really reacts. He's a superhero, but he doesn't have superpowers. He's related to the story because he experienced that first alien invasion and that changed him. That drove him to say, I'm not going to let this happen again. I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm, I'm going to step up and be a hero. I like that choice. I like that story for a hero mechanically I liked him because there was a lot of stuff on his character sheet. Uh, There were lots of different things to look at and do it all boiled down to punching somebody or shooting somebody with an arrow, but that's fun. That's very heroic. Uh, That's very pulp comic booky style. I will say that I got a little confused here and there with certain rules. Some of the skill usages and some of his offensive capabilities didn't make a whole lot of sense as they were written on the character sheet, but I think that was more because I didn't build the character. So I didn't really understand the choices going into it. But as we played and as we learned the rules, as we were rolling dice, it all worked out. And there were plenty of opportunities where I would say, Hey, here's what I want to do. How do I do that within the rules? And it was explained very easily and it made sense after the fact. I think he was a great character. He was really fun. And, uh, I would play him again if he wasn't dead. Spoiler. If he wasn't dead. Of course, no one's ever really dead in the comic books. Right. You'll come back as a clone or an alien or something like that. Cyborg alien clone. All three. Come on. Excellent. So as for myself, I chose a bulwark who was the living volcano. And he was that sort of, again, typical comic book character superhero where he had all this power. I was probably in a lot of ways, the most powerful character, or the sturdiest anyways. I had a ridiculously high defense and constitution, but he was also the one that really didn't choose this. He didn't want to be a superhero. This was a power thrust upon him by some sort of accident in his background as he's, he was doing some sort of archaeological dig. And um, 
you know, his backstory, his origin uh, involved. He, he looks like a living volcano. He's basically like Ben Grimm, the thing from Fantastic Four. He looks like this monster and he doesn't like that. And so he's constantly trying to show that he is still a man inside. And there's a lot of depth to that. I'm happy to report I did nothing with that and, and made the goofiest, silliest character I could possibly make, including a trip to Dairy Queen on, on the way <laughs> on the way. To you were bad, uh, you were two seconds away from going out in a fedora and a trench coat. I know you were. So, yeah, it was I went just over the top, goofy, silly, but it was fun. I, I really enjoyed some of that. So I had fun with him, but that was really had had nothing to do with the build of the character as much as me just being silly. But the couple times I got to do things, it was cool. I got to, you know, again, I got to meld with the earth and flow underneath it like lava. Um, I had this like chest burst fire lava uh, attack I could do. I was very, very strong and powerful. So yeah, I mean, if you're going to play a comic book game, I was very happy with the the character I got to play. And, and you touched on earlier, Caleb, there seems to be a lot of depth to the world that Dave and and his team, if there is one, I don't know. Sorry, Dave. Uh, sorry, team, if there is. If there is. But I, we didn't really know it. So there was a lot of the game where we were being told things as players that our characters probably already would have known. But I think that, that happens a lot when you start with new games that have a lot of um, lore built into them. So that would have been probably a better thing if we had been more familiar with ourselves and with the world that we're in. We probably could have sped things up a little bit. And I did want to call out here, uh, the game did start to run a little long. So we kind of asked David to speed up a couple things uh, to get us to the end. So if you were listening, if it felt like it was moving at a very sort of like gritty pace and then whoop, all of a sudden we're fighting the main bad guys, that was kind of us uh, pushing that along because it was getting really late. Uh, so I don't fault him at all for that. So I do want to move over and talk a little bit about the rules specifically. Um, I know we touched on there were definitely were a lot of them. Uh, I'll start with our crunch master, but I have a couple thoughts about the rules that I want to cover as well. And then hopefully Matthew does. So, uh, so again, I don't expect you to go completely in depth, Caleb, but just what were some of the highlights or some of the things that maybe you didn't quite understand about the rule system? Well, like I said, there is a lot of rules. This is a crunch heavy rule set. Uh, Comparative to other superhero systems like Marvel Heroics, that is very freeform and loose, this is an extremely involved system. And there's nothing wrong with it. I like very involved systems. But that's something you should be aware of, oh listener out there in Radio Land, as you are considering uh, using the system at your table. If your players, if you don't like crazy, crunch-heavy tons and tons of numbers on your sheet, you might need to reconsider something or at least really learn the system inside and out backwards and forwards so you can really answer any question and make it a smoother gameplay. In general, the numbers all made sense. So even though there's a lot of numbers, they all work well together. The system also really played to that power gamer part of me that's likes really, really big numbers. So Uh, There were lots of times where I was rolling dice and then randomly adding 35. That's cool. That's fun. I don't know how we got to that number because I didn't build the character and didn't go through character gen, but it was cool to have everything on the sheet and just say, okay, this ability says you roll this many dice and add 47. 
it's fun. And I'm sure within the context of actually building the characters, it all makes sense. Uh, there's a, there's more than the six base stats that we're used to, and they all factor into different things. One of the most interesting parts of the rule set, I think, was the skill system. Uh, the skill system was not really broken down into typical D&D skills. There wasn't necessarily perception, stealth, investigate, that kind of stuff. The skills were a lot more like background. You know, it, it was, uh, I had Olympic training or investigation because I was poking around at things. Michael's character had archaeology and random collegiate things because that was his background. And as we played the game, there were lots of different ways we could use those skills. So they were atypical skills, but you could use them very creatively. I, I think it might have taken a little bit from the 13th age style of skills and backgrounds where as long as you could justify how a certain skill would apply to a certain check, it would work. Uh, and I like that. Even though I'm a, a crunch-heavy numbers guy, I like that ability to be a little freeform and creative in how things actually play out. There are a lot... Uh, there's, a, there's a big focus on combat. Obviously, in a superhero game, there's a lot of punching. And the rules were obviously weighted towards combat, which is fine. That, that's what the system requires. And the system really accurately holds that up. It worked pretty typically with, uh, there were a couple different defense pools. So there's physical defense and mental defense. So certain attacks would roll against one or the other. In general, I really like the mechanics. I, I wish I would have been able to spend a little bit more time with actually making the character and learning why a number is this versus that. But in general, I really did like it. This is a game where uh, there are a lot of DCs to roll against, and they're very, they, they range anywhere from like five to 50. So when you're adding in that 37 to your roll, it's not like you're trying to beat a five. You, you might be trying to get, you know, 40 or 50 on the dice. And, and that makes sense within the context. I, I think that really plays to the pulpy, I need to tear this wall down in one move. Can I do it? Yeah, but you need a 50. Okay, I think I can do that. So it, again, I think the big numbers really play to the setting and the focus of the game, uh, the, the story background and the world. One of the interesting things I think was there wasn't really crits on the dice, but when you got sixes, it was a bonus to your roll. Uh, the, the specific rule says with each six you roll, you get a free bump as if you had rolled 10 higher. So it's not really a critical success, but it's going to skyrocket that end result you get, which as Dave ran the game for us, uh, when that came up, that led to those really cool, surprising, heroic moments. So in general, uh, it's a messy system. There's a lot to pay attention to and think about, but I liked it. I had a good time with it. What about you, Matthew? Any thoughts on the mechanics of the game or your character specifically? I, uh, like Caleb said, there was a there was a void of explaining how the numbers were achieved and 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 gotten to. So I had a problem like understanding. I I, I understood the system like once I 
got a couple roles, but I have no idea how the numbers got to where they were. And uh, like you said, starting with a value of like 24 for things, I was like, 24. Okay. I can add, I can start adding from 24. I'm looking at the sheet right now. Like uh, my willpower was 711. Oh, seven out of 11, I guess. But I don't know how I had seven or, or is 11 my max? Is it? It was, it was, there wasn't really a big background on how the rules got achieved, and we didn't make these characters, so we, you know, didn't see any of the math behind it. But uh, I didn't think it was overly uh, difficult. It was just uh, I felt like all that stuff happened behind the scenes that we didn't see, and uh, has a lot more stats than D and D. Got like was it eight, eight of them, nine, and of a lot, and a lot of the skills were derived from your base in a skill plus a stat that was added to it, which is pretty typical for a gaming system like this. But one of the things I felt a little awkward with was I didn't know inherently which stat went with which skill. So when I was making my choices of what skill to roll, uh, I I felt a little out of my depth because I didn't know how to generate the final number. Uh, But again, Dave just explained it to us as we were going, which is fine. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure if we read the book to start from scratch, it would have made a lot more sense. Oh, yeah, Um, of course. The willpower was another feature that was pretty interesting. Uh, It was one of those resources you got to do really cool things with and empower certain moves. I think we missed out on a little bit of that aspect of it because there was a whole other document in the test packet that Dave sent us about how to use willpower and how to do cool things with it. And mm-hmm. since we were really learning the system, we didn't dig into that side of things, but I think we could have used willpower to ratchet up a lot of our roles and make more cool, big moments happen. But one of the things we did not learn was how to get willpower back. Yes. Now I, I don't know if we simply didn't get to that point in the game or if it simply doesn't exist. So I'm a little bit ignorant as to the truth behind uh, what my opinion is here. But in other games where you have a resource to break the rules or do cool things, there is a very clearly defined, here's how you get them back paragraph. Like in Fate, you get Fate points back by playing to your troubles. Or... In Dungeons and Dragons, when in, in whatever version of it used uh, the point system where you could boost your dice or boost your roll, uh, there was always a, a very clear rule for here's how you earn them back. You get them back by doing this certain action or taking out an enemy in this certain manner. Even in Marvel Heroics that we just recently played, uh, there was a huge back and forth between that resource. The, the GM would earn those resources from the players based on what we roll and we would earn them from the GM based on what he rolled. So that resource was constantly a a major factor of the rules. Willpower seemed like that. It seemed like it should have been a very important, very specific thing to generate, but I didn't know how to do it. Right. And I would say that that is probably just our ignorance. I'm sure there, there has to be a way to do that. It just didn't come up. And yeah. our, so we just don't know what that system is. Now, the game does have drives, which are sort of like uh, in current D&D parlance, that'd be your personality traits, quirks, bonds, flaws, that type of thing. It's it's uh, aspects of your character that you would want to try to bring into a scene. 
And I kind of vaguely remember him saying something about that. Like that is a way to get willpower back is by bringing your drive into a scene. But I'm not 100% on that. While uh, Caleb glances through the document there, I'll cover my thoughts on the on the the mechanics. Uh, I thought it was overly complicated, but that's not unusual for me to think that as the Professor Fluff, um, you know, guy on the on the show. I, I'm more about story than anything, and it just seemed like there were a lot of rules. Having said that, I do agree with the other guys that they did seem to kind of work, though. I, it's I don't think they are, you know bad rules or broken rules. There's just a lot of them. And I just kept thinking, how would I run this? Like that was what was going through my mind. Every time something came up with the rules, I was thinking, would I be able to run this? Uh, Now, Dave obviously wrote the system or co-wrote the system. He's very familiar with it. And when we would throw something at him, he would say, well, normally you would roll that skill with your intellect. But in this case, I think you should roll that skill with your emotion or your presence or something like that. So clearly he knew what was going on and he was able to adjudicate that on the fly. I'm not sure that I would be able to do that uh, quickly, which probably is fair to say of any system when you start. I did really like the fact, though, I'll give it this credit. I, it's only a D6 system. That's all you roll. There's all these other numbers that get factored into everything, but the only thing the players actually roll are D6s. I don't remember a time that we rolled only one. I think two was the, the fewest I rolled any time, and four was the maximum that we rolled any time. So you're basically adding anywhere between six and or one to 24, I guess, is what you're adding to your numbers. And we got some numbers that were up in the high 40s. Mm. So, you know, there are obviously some some range increments there. But I kind of think if you're going to do superheroes right, you have to do that. Because there's going to be a time where either the Crossfire character, who's just a normal human with training, is going to try to do something that a normal human would need to do. You have to have a range increment for that to make sense. And then you're going to turn around and have uh, Bulwark, the living volcano, picking up a building and throwing it at somebody. You have to have an upper range of numbers that's far enough apart that that makes sense. So, I mean, again, it just it makes sense to me that if you're going to do it that way, that's how it has to work. Um, So I really liked how sixes gave you that bump. I thought that was very smart. Rather than trying to add in 20 D6s, you just roll two, three, or four. But every time you get a six, it's kind of like an exploding die from like Savage Worlds or others, but it doesn't actually explode and you roll it again. You just go, okay, that's a six, but it gives you one incremental bump. And those are things that are important in this game. So, for example, let's say Lady Knight is out hitting the streets trying to beat up some thugs and learn something. There might be four different ranges of information that she can get. The first one being a false rumor. The last one being exactly when the next shipment of drugs is coming into town. What dock, what warehouse, who who bought them, everything. And you might roll kind of low, but you got a couple sixes. So even though you only got a 15, you get the third level of information. And the reason I like that so much is it keeps the dice important. When you're already adding 20s and 30s to a number that's probably never going to get higher than 60, to my mind, that devalues that rolling of the dice. They don't really mean as much. But making that an aspect where sixes do matter keeps those dice important. And out of my, everything in the game, that was my favorite part. I just really, really like that idea, and I like that mechanic. Did you find anything on willpower, Caleb? I saw you were trying to glance through the book. Okay, that's that's fine. Again, I'm positive it's there. It just may not be something that we experienced. Well, I know it wasn't something we experienced. But it also may be something that it just wasn't in the material that was provided. We didn't get the full rule book. We got a quick start rule set that Dave sent us. 
Oh yeah, it may not even be fully developed yet. These guys are still building this system. It's still testing. So that might be something that they are still experimenting with. So that's why we didn't get to focus on that. We focused on the things that were there, like the skills mm-hmm. and and the combat. Obviously, those are the most important things. Uh, I, I have the feeling, as you did, Michael, that it is based on your drives, your traits, your aspects. There were a couple times where I specifically tried to use that as a motivation in my actions, uh, but... Dave did not respond with, oh, that's really cool. You get a willpower point. So either I didn't do it right or it just doesn't exist yet. Who knows? And it could just be as simple as that. It's something that happens between sessions. And since we only played once. Yeah, it could be a recharge during sessions, like when you do healing and stuff. Did you have something, Matthew? Uh, I was thinking this, this might be the first system that isn't complete that we've played. So that might be something we need to take into consideration because I'm pretty sure... Faith was complete. Neon Sanctum was complete. All these games were were finished games that they were just hoping to fund. This was, oh, excuse me. This was the first game where we were like beta. I'm I'm gonna say beta. We were like in the beta where it's like, oh, this is how it works right now. No, that, that's fair. I, um, I know they are looking at kickstarting soon, but that doesn't mean that they're done developing it. That a lot of games are like that. They get, you know, they they have a roadmap. They know where they need to get. Um, so that might be something to consider mm-hmm. as well. So, all right. So, I, again, I think we've covered, you know, a lot of it um, pretty well. There, Obviously, the actual play episodes are out there. Hopefully, you've already listened to them. So, you've kind of heard how some of these mechanics work. So, we'll go around one more time and any sort of final thoughts. It can be anything that we just didn't cover that you wanted to pull out as uh, something very interesting, very cool, or a criticism. And then we'll wrap it up. So, I'll actually start with you this time, Matthew. Any last thoughts or words on uh, MetaHumans Rising? I've just looked over the sheets and I'm like, I, I I really can't think of anything that, that we haven't already talked about. So I, you know, I enjoyed the game. I thought it was fun. We had fun playing it. Um, it might not be a complete system yet, but I do think I like where they're going. So bravo. You like animorphs? I love animorphs. I'm surprised you didn't try to turn your shadow into like a shadow boar and attack. I did say I was a bat. That's true. You did. You did turn into a shadow bat at one <laughs> I point. I did say so a bat. I, I, my apologies. <laughs> All right, Caleb. So what about you? Any final thoughts, words on MetaHumans Rising? Uh, I think it's a very ambitious system. It's trying to do a lot uh, because of the world it's inhabiting and because of the style it is trying to deliver to players. So I commend these guys for taking on a huge project and doing a very good job at delivering the feel and the style of the world and where it's coming from. Uh, Like I said at the top of the show, there are a lot of rules and a lot of numbers. This is not a game that you're going to pick up and learn in an afternoon before you run that evening. So take that for what it is. If you like that, if you don't feel you're able to do that, if your players don't want to do that, just know your players, know your table. This is something that I really think as a GM, you have to have the rule book read the rule book, memorize the rule book. You need to know these rules backwards and forwards. Other game systems are a little bit more loose with that and everybody can be learning as they go or be a little bit more free with some rules. But MetaHumans Rising seems to really require a lot of knowledge and experience from the game master. So if this is something that you want to pick up and play around with, Definitely be prepared to read the book a couple times through, listen to some play tests, talk to people online, hit the forums, 
you really need to know what's going on with these rules. That being said, I think when you know these rules backwards and forwards and you have all your players bought in to the story with really great characters and everyone understands how the dice and the numbers work, you're going to have an awesome time. I don't like necessarily comparing one rule set to another because they they should be individually looked at. Uh, what you do with this game and these rules, yes, you can compare it on, on a surface level to another superhero style game, but I don't really want to get into that type of comparative analysis and pros and cons. This game is an awesome game. You can do some really cool things with it. And once you learn how the rules work, I think it will be very easy to play to those rules and let the character organically develop and let those really cool, big comic book pulp moments develop and that everyone will really enjoy at the gaming table. So for me, the, the thing that I look for in a superhero game is I need to be able to create an interesting character that feels like a superhero to me. And in this playtest, we had Lady Knight, who was very Batman-ish in some of her aspects, but the more I thought about it, also very Green Lantern-like in the way she could manipulate her powers through willpower. We had the Hawkeye slash uh, Green Arrow normal guy with uh, you know extensive training, maybe some beyond realistic tech equipment uh, in his bow that could pop out of like you know his palm or whatever. And then you have Bulwark the Living Volcano, and all three of those characters were able to exist in the same world, and it wasn't like Bulwark just solved every problem because he was super strong, or Lady Knight solved every problem because she could do her bat powers or whatever. So that's important to me, that you can you can have those types of characters interact together and not make one feel obsolete to the other. Uh, the one thing I would have liked to have seen is a speedster. I personally think that's the hardest thing to do in a game correctly. How do you account for someone being able to be super fast and then just not that break the game? So that would be something I would look forward to. I do like how D6s work. I think if you have a DM that knows what they're doing, then all the players don't have to know because that's pretty much what we did. But at least one person at the table is going to have to know that book very, very well probably start with pregens to start. So I'm interested, uh, like Caleb, I'm very excited that these guys are doing this. I wish them the most luck in the world and success. Uh, I hope it does very well for them. I will certainly check out the Kickstarter when it goes live. If I'm hoping because it's a comic book game, there might be some cool art. Uh, they might be able to entice me into getting a physical book if there's some cool artwork involved. But I probably will check out a PDF level if that's available just to have this as something in my collection because I, I did enjoy it. But uh, unfortunately, we don't have the specific dates for the Kickstarter yet. They're, they're still doing some planning. If possible, this will come out during the Kickstarter campaign and there will be links in the show notes to everything. But I can't guarantee that right now because we don't know when the Kickstarter is going live. But if you've listened to this, if you've enjoyed it, please head over to housedoc.com. That's H-O-U-S-E-D-O-K.com and look for additional information over there. And once again, I want to thank Dave for A, giving us the opportunity to check out his game and to spending an evening with us running it. I thought he did a good job and uh, had a lot of fun. So for Matthew and Caleb, this is Michael, and we will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. 
We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash vrpgacademy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at vrpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at vrpgacademy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.